by Health Tech listeners. I'm your host this week, Hayley Levine. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week, I am joined by Peter Walsh. He's the CEO of AVMA, which stands for Action Against Medical Accidents. So Peter's worked for AVMA for 20 years, previously working in patient advocacy. And Peter's aim is essentially to enable AVMA to be a leading voice for patients and the public on patient safety. So it's really important work. He's, he's working to make healthcare safer and also fairer when things do go wrong, because we, we do know that that happens Outside of work, apart from spending time with family, Peter's main interests are sport, music and theatre. Being Welsh but having lived in South London for a long time, he supports the Welsh Welsh national rugby and football teams. Um, And after that, England, of course. Um, And also his local football team, Crystal Palace. He also plays golf, tennis and squash and enjoys cycling and walking. So you're quite sporty then, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> I've given up my footballing though. Oh, have you? <laughs> oh no. Was that your favourite or have you got an, a, diff, a favourite sport? Uh, out of all of them at the moment, I'd say probably golf is really getting in my, my system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad likes golf, but I've never been a fan of golf. I don't know why. I find it a bit boring, but I like crazy golf. <laughs> I'm getting it... ready for later life. <laughs> So I understand you retire this year, which is really exciting. You know, it's a new chapter. Um, What are you going to do with your time when you retire? I am. I'm actually in post right to the very end of 2022, (laughs) uh, when I'll be handing over to my successor. Um, And it's it's all very nice and symmetrical because, as you know, AVMA, a charity, Action Against Medical Accidents, uh, is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Yeah. Uh, My predecessor, the founder of AVMA, Arnold Samanowitz, he did 20 years and I'll have done 20 years. Uh, so I've had to explain to my successor, don't worry, it's not obligatory that you stay for 20 years. But it'd be nice to carry it on, I guess. <laughs> it would be, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't want him to worry about it. No, it's, it's, it's great. 20 years is a long time to really make an impact. And obviously I've seen some of the amazing things that the charity does, which I guess for our listeners, tell me a little bit about the work that AVMA does. Yes, AVMA is really a unique charity. I mean, we're blessed in this country, aren't we? We're having so many wonderful health charities. Um, but we are unique in that we're a patient's charity that works specifically for better patient safety and for justice or fairness, if you like, when things go wrong in healthcare. And um, that's fairly unique to combine those things uh, in any patient uh, across the world, uh, let alone the UK. Um, So at the core of what we do is direct support to people who've experienced harm to patients and their families. Uh, We have a helpline uh, and a written advice service and even provide support with inquests when there's been a healthcare related death. Um, And we're often told that when patients have come to us, you know, it's it's a massive relief that they finally found someone who understands what they're going through um, and who's prepared to give their free specialist advice to help them get to where they need to be following something going wrong and to understand all of their rights and all the very complex processes that they might be faced with. So 
a really important area to be in and you know very sensitive as well the obviously you did say that you've been around for 40 years kind of where did the what's the history of the charity and where did it come from uh, there's a great story behind the forming of ADMA, actually. We used to, in the first uh, iteration of ADMA, we were called Action for the Victims mm. of Medical Accidents. But how it actually came about was quite interesting. Uh, there was actually a television play uh, back in the old days, in the 80s, there was something called BBC Play for Today. I think it was every week. And in one particular play, it was written by a playwright called Peter Ransley, and it depicted the plight of a woman who went in for routine surgery and had what the doctors described as minor complications. The play was called Minor Complications. Uh, and of course, the story unfolded and the complications weren't minor at all. They were life-saving, uh, life-changing, sorry. And this, this lady couldn't get answers. She couldn't get explanations. There was no specialist advice or organization that she could turn to to actually find out what to do next what questions to ask and what her rights were and apparently the bbc switchboard was absolutely absolutely jammed that evening with people saying i know someone who that's happened to or it happened to me and i suffered the same problems as a result, the actual playwright, Peter Ransley, got round a table with a lawyer he knew called Arnold Samanowitz, who was the first CEO, and uh, a couple of other people, and they decided to set up a charity, and that's when Adma was born. Wow, what, what year was that then, 40 years ago? Uh, I can't even uh, think. 1982. Yes, 1982. Yeah, wow. It's been, been obviously a lot of changes in, in the NHS and in healthcare in general since then. Um, and I guess things are easier to figure out now, would you say? Things have changed a lot. Um, when ADMA was founded, um, the term patient safety wasn't even a, a known term. Hmm. Hence the old-fashioned language in our title about medical accidents. People just didn't know how to describe these things. People knew there was something that needed fixing, but there wasn't actually a movement to address it. So ADMA were right there in the, the vanguard uh, probably the first organisation in the world, really, saying something's got to happen about this. Too many people are being harmed. Mm. Um, now, I'm glad to say patient safety is top or nearly top of almost every health system's agenda. Uh, there's much more awareness about the problem. Uh, and that's a big, big step in the right direction. Uh, we have some organisations who are actually dedicated to improving patient safety, uh, who we're glad to work with. Um, but of course, we haven't fixed patient safety. Uh, it's probably something that's never 100% fixed anyway. Uh, but the truth is, uh, there's still an awful long way to go. There's far too many avoidable incidents or errors that happen causing really serious harm and even deaths. Uh, and we see a lot of those because they end up with our charity wanting help and support. Yeah, the um, I've I know someone actually that um, unfortunately lost someone due to of well it was unavoidable sorry it was avoidable, um, and it was an error in in the care that they received, um, and I remember having a conversation with them 
when it happened and I said you need to take you need to take this further not not just for you but for the next person that goes in there um these people need to kind of learn from from what's happened and it's not about blaming people it's about them learning from from situations like that and his response was I don't want money I want that person back and I said I understand that and obviously it's it's not about money it's about kind of making sure that these situations don't happen to someone else and someone else loses someone because of an error that they've made or because they didn't realize or whatever the situation is so I guess what would you say to someone like that that should really go and and kind of take take it further and alert the the NHS organization or the healthcare organization whatever setting it was in um what would you say to them uh, I'd, I'd say much the same that you did, that um, it's important that people learn lessons. Mm. Um, even though it's not for most people about blame or compensation, uh, it's about being reassured that the same thing isn't going to be allowed to happen to someone else. And that's probably the thing we most often hear from the people who come to us for help. They don't want the same thing to happen to someone else. However, they do have a range of other needs uh, and it's a free world whether they follow any of them up or whether they do make a report uh, or seek an investigation um, but everyone's needs are different and it's be because learning um, not blaming uh, is top of most people's agenda it doesn't necessarily follow that people shouldn't seek other avenues of redress such as making complaints uh, making referrals to health professional regulators because that in itself can uh, contribute towards better patient safety. And also some people uh, need compensation. Their lives have been so disrupted or let's say they've got a child who's disabled for the rest of their lives and needing special care uh, and attention. And the only way to get extra help with that is by exercising their, their right as a citizen to seek compensation through legal redress. So it shouldn't be considered a bad thing that people do that. It's good that we have that safety net in this country. But to put it in context, out of the thousands of people who come to AVMA for help and advice every year, uh, less than 10% ever go anywhere near a lawyer uh, mm. or want to take legal action. Uh, legal action when it's taken is really often a uh, a last gasp attempt to get accountability, to get to the truth, and sometimes because people actually need that compensation to get on with their lives. Yeah, that was um, kind of his response as well, was that the actual stress of going legal or having a battle or whatever situation they would find themselves in was too much at that time. Um, so I can imagine that people don't want to get to that level. They just want someone to be accountable. They just want something to change really and it never to happen again yeah one of the moving things that i've experienced several times uh, at atma is people with um sometimes very serious cases maybe who've lost someone in their family but who have been dealt with appropriately uh who've had a full honest explanation of what went wrong an assurance that it won't be allowed to happen again and an apology mm. Uh, and for those people, for some people, that's enough. Uh, and I know of one family who just said at the end of it all, look, 
we know we've got a cast iron case if we chose to go to law over this. But all we want you to do is put a wooden bench in your hospital grounds in memory of our daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. That's really nice. It really is. Sometimes it's just that acknowledgement of what's happened or an apology or something heartfelt like that that will will kind of make you accept not accept but kind of come to terms with the fact that that mistake or that that situation has happened and it's it's not nice really is it for anyone involved and I guess what part do you play in in that situation and how do you support patients do you go out and get advice for them or do you give advice what's your position no, we're, we're very fortunate in that we have uh, in-house some people who are very, very knowledgeable about the systems available in healthcare to look into incidents. You know, what happens with patient safety incidents within the NHS? Uh, what are people's rights to and what's the process involved in making a complaint, a formal complaint and having an investigation that way? Uh, what's involved with health professional regulation? How do they make people safer by looking into cases uh, about individuals, rarely? It's mostly systems that go wrong in healthcare. Very rarely it's individuals, and they sometimes need to be brought to the attention of their regulator. And also, of course, legal redress or legal help with an inquest. So uh, we have staff in-house who have a healthcare uh, background, and we, we also have staff with a legal background. And then we have around 100 trained and carefully selected volunteers who operate our helpline, who are able to help people understand their rights and navigate the system, get to where they need to be. But one of the biggest contributions we make, apart from helping those individuals and families, is by taking their experience and all that we learn through that, through those daily conversations we have with them, to seek changes in the healthcare system, to help make things safer in healthcare, but also, and this is really important, to make them fairer so that people aren't uh, lost or turned away uh, and don't feel forced into taking things like legal action when a more considered, compassionate, reasonable response could have led to better learning and to some finality for that patient or family. It's it's really, really important and I'm glad that there is a charity like yourselves that can support patients in situations like that. I think we know that the NHS or workers in the NHS, if anyone has been involved in an incident like like we're talking about, um it affects them as well just you know just as much it it can seriously affect their mental health and um i think i was at an event um about two years ago and someone got on stage and talked about a patient safety incident that his sister had been through um and she unfortunately couldn't live with what had happened what she what you know what she'd been through and she committed suicide and he was campaigning for um, people to understand and support the workers as well um, because they are affected and it it's, it's awful what it can do to your mental health when no one goes to work one day and decides to make a mistake and no one goes into this industry to do that they go into this industry to really care is there anything that 
that you do to support NHS workers? Yes, there is. Um, whilst our service, because the whole purpose of the charity is primarily to serve patients and families who've experienced something going wrong and who've had harm occur, um, that's where we concentrate our efforts, of course. But because we're also always working towards a fairer system and a better patient safety, we also always have healthcare providers and health professionals in our mind as well. And the most tangible uh, symbol of that is what we did for World Patient Safety Day uh, this month. We actually issued a joint statement and a call for action jointly with the Doctors Association for frontline doctors across the UK. Because we agree uh, on almost all of the key priorities. And one of the things we talk about there is this thing that we aspire to in healthcare called a just or a fair culture. One that doesn't hang individual doctors or nurses ha out to dry when they're involved in an incident, which is sadly what sometimes happens, um, but where organisations take corporate responsibility and actually provide support and understanding to that person who may have been affected or the whole team who may have been affected. Because as you say, they don't go into work to cause harm and it can be very, very um, damaging to them and their careers uh, experiencing that. So to our mind, that just culture should apply equally to all patients and families when it comes to fairness in healthcare, as well as to the staff involved. Yeah, the um, I think there's we often get kind of told when we do speak to partners about um, the culture, that blame culture that sometimes goes on, and an organisation is really trying to remove that because it's not helpful to anyone blaming someone yeah. for something that's happened. It's not going to change. It's not going to make someone learn. It's going to make someone defensive. It's going to make someone someone's mental health go right downhill. It's it's just not helpful. So we we shouldn't be in a position where we're living. In a, in a world where people are just getting blamed rather than being helped to learn from things that happen. That's right. Um, I do think it's important that people um, uh, recognise that um, there's a distinction to be made between accountability yeah. and not blaming people as a default approach. Mm. So sometimes there needs to be um, individual accountability uh, they're rare because most things that go wrong in healthcare are system failures. And for those, there needs to be corporate accountability. Organisations really need to be held to account and be forced to demonstrate how they've learned, how they've responded to that incident, whether they've been open and honest with the patient or family, and have they been supportive to their staff. Um, so I'm glad to say people don't so often talk about a so-called no-blame culture these days. Uh, and instead we use the term a just culture or a fair, open and fair culture, which is fair to everyone. Yeah, it's about that openness, isn't it? It's about being trustworthy with what you're saying and, and not trying to shy away from a situation that's happened, but also not blaming individuals and and it's just literally surrounding blame and that's it. It's, you know, yeah. it, I think yeah. things are moving though in that direction. I've definitely seen that. I agree with you, they are moving in the right direction. And one of the things I'm 
most proud about that our charity has achieved, something we're probably best known for, is we led a campaign for a statutory duty of candour, which is now either in place or uh, planned for in every part of the UK. Uh, And for years, there was resistance to this simple, basic thing that the man and woman on the street just used to assume was there, but wasn't. You know, there was resistance to actually saying, being open and honest when things go wrong in healthcare isn't just kind of best practice, something that we issue guidance about, but something that's absolutely essential and mandatory um, and should be given that that status, uh, which it now is. And what, what does that mean, duty of candour? What does it mean for the, for the NHS? Uh, it means that it is now uh, mandatory in law and regulation that when an incident occurs that causes significant harm to someone in health or social care, uh, there's a legal obligation on that organisation to make sure it's dealt with openly and honestly, that people get those um, explanations and apologies. And as a result, it's more likely there'll be learning and improvement that comes from it. So it's changed from situation that this is just something like motherhood and apple pie, that everyone used to say they believe in openness and transparency to a situation where you have to do it to be registered with the Care Quality Commission. Hmm. And if you don't do it, then you could be held to account as an organisation. And the ultimate sanction is that people could uh, be criminally prosecuted or have their, uh, their right to provide health or social care taken away. Um, but thankfully, that's a nuclear option that hasn't been necessary uh, very often. Um, and just the fact that people know they have to do it, that it's not optional, uh, that is helping the situation. Um, and many more people are getting the truth and the full story about what happens now than used to be the case. But there's still a long way to go before it's perfect. It's a big step, though. I think, you know, that that's really important, being truthful and Without the full story, how can you expect to learn from something? Yeah, and I think historians looking at the NHS in the future, you know, will be looking at this and thinking, my goodness, how did this not happen earlier? When you think how long the NHS has been going, that only, um, it's about six years ago now, the duty of candor was brought in, first of all, in England. Um, And for all that time running up to that, this was just uh, an optional thing. There was no regulation that said you had to be open and honest when things went wrong, or there could be consequences for you. Um, I think it's, I like to think it's certainly the biggest um, improvement to patients' rights that we've seen in the history of the NHS, but also probably one of the biggest steps that's happened towards better patient safety in the NHS. Thanks for joining us this week, Peter. That was really, really interesting to talk to you. I think there's some really important and inspiring things that you're doing as well. So I want to continue this conversation next week because I think there's a lot more that we can talk about. So please tune in next week to listen to the next episode. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you have any questions for us or for our guests or for Peter, then please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com. Thank you.